Alright, this is the Movies Are Dope channel podcast. This is not a reaction channel, but I was just watching Chris Stuckman's re- most recent My Filmmaking Journey. It was the first video of his that I had seen. I'm now looking at the older ones, but in that video he mentioned Mark Duplass's speech about filmmaking. And we think movies are dope here. We want to make movies. And this seemed like something... That would be very good to jump into, so I'm going to be adding the audio later, uh, but I'll listen to it now, and I love Mark Duplass, I admire his career, his variety, how he's been in front of and behind the camera, the different genres he's played with, Um, I think it's, he's a great talent and someone I would like to learn from, so finding out that there is this resource resource i was very interested in checking out let's do it starting my stopwatch now uh (laughs) welcome everybody um thank you for coming out this morning Um, I would like to start. If everyone, we could just go around the room, if you could stand up and introduce yourselves. (laughs) Great. Um, No, I'm serious, guys. I'm really serious. Um, So we're going to talk a lot about movies today. I hope that's what you're here to to talk about. Um, We're going to talk about um, the bad news and the good news of Hmm. independent film. And, And, you know, if you're at all like me and you read the trades and you're involved in film conversations... It's mostly bad news. I think that what we hear about is the death of the middle class of independent films. You know, where are those cool $5 million movies that used to break out of Sundance in, in 1998? And, and, and why are they not buying those or making those? Or even when they do, why are they not promoting them? And, uh, and why is nobody going to see them? Um, people are talking about what VOD means uh, for the death of the theatrical experience. Is it hurting it? Is it this glut of material in the marketplace keeping people from going to see things in the theaters? We're going to talk about the migration to TV and um, are all the great indie filmmakers going to TV? Not that I did it, maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> and, and what that means. And, and these are all issues that we're definitely going to talk about. Um, but for me, uh, there's one thing that keeps coming up over and over in my career I'm going to put this up so I don't have to have hunched shoulders Um, and and that one thing that keeps coming to me is uh, this very simple phrase Um, and I'm going to take a note from Tony Robbins motivational speaker here for a second (laughs) and we're going to have something that we're going to really focus in on and and that is these simple words the cavalry isn't coming I'm looking around like Tony I'm going to let it sit and then Tony repeats it. The cavalry is not coming. And I say this because we've all heard these amazing tales of how that 21-year-old kid had a script and his cousin worked in the mailroom at Warner Brothers and he gave it to him and his script got up to the head of Warner Brothers and they loved it and they bought it for a million dollars and got it made. And that's an exciting story, but a super dangerous one because... I don't know anyone that's happened to. Maybe that's happened once. But I had a very, very different career trajectory. I was here in Austin in college living in um, shitty apartments all around town. The Brownstone on 51st and Lamar, um, where they don't allow you to work on your car and cinder blocks on the, uh, in the apartment <laughs> complex. Um, and a rat-infested uh, duplex on uh, Old Torf. Um, and, and I was sitting there thinking, I'm inspired, I'm excited, I want to be a filmmaker, I have no connections. <laughs> how the f- Everybody keeps saying, just pick up a camera and do it, but like, even if I do that, how, how am I going to get there? And I think that's where most people are, and that's, I feel like if I have a place to be useful, that's what I want to speak to, is what can you do when you are absolutely nowhere and feeling you are full of magic and ideas? So, we're going to go through some step-by-step Tony Robbins processes here, guys, and see if we can get practical and I can leave you with at least something useful. Um, the first step is 
the $3 short film. I can definitely speak to this. Uh, we're in a place now, obviously, where technology is so cheap. There's no excuse for you not to be making short films on the weekends with your friends shot on your iPhone. We had a feature film at Sundance last year, uh, this past year, called Tangerine that was a tot- shot entirely on an iPhone and did really well, sold to Magnolia. And, and so no excuses not to be doing that. And I, I bring this up because a lot of people think, well, Man, what, even if I make like a decent movie on this phone, like who's going to watch it? What is this all about? Um, and I'll just share one personal story with you, which is that my brother and I lived in Austin for a long time. We worked as editors trying to get our day jobs and our money go. And we uh, saved up enough money by doing this corporate documentary to make our first feature film. The film was called Vince Del Rio. It starred me as a runner from the South Texas border trying to get a spot at the Olympic trials. <laughs> you can see why this didn't work out so well already. <laughs> we spent $65,000 on this movie, and it was Damn. a steaming pile of dog diarrhea. And we almost gave up making movies. Um, and we were sitting on Jay's couch in South Austin. And I remember looking at him, and he was depressed, and I was just slightly less depressed enough to say, we should, get up, we should make a movie like we did when we were kids. But all we had was our parents' video camera, which we knew had a dead pixel in the middle of it. Um, and I said, I'm going to get a tape. You come up with a movie idea, and like we're shooting as soon as I come back. And so I was back in 20 minutes, and, and Jay said, something weird happened to me yesterday. I was trying to like get the outgoing greeting of my answer machine going, and I like couldn't get it right, and I kind of had a nervous breakdown. Um, I recorded it about 157 times. And I was like, that's great. This feels like us. This is like funny but kind of tragic, just like us. Um, and so I said, okay, put the camera on. I'm going out the door and just film me. And he's like, well, we don't have lighting kit. Like, the microphone is the one on the camera, like, where you can't hear anything. And I was like, I don't care. We're doing this. So we shot one 20-minute improvised take. We edited it down to about seven minutes. And, and we watched it with our friends. And we are like, there's something interesting here. It's a shame there's a dead pixel in it. And it looks and sounds like shit. Um, <laughs> but our friend David Zellner was like, I think you should just submit this around to some festivals just to see. And... That $3 movie was our first movie that got into Sundance, and it played at South by Southwest here 12 years ago. And it changed really everything for us because we realized that um, it really doesn't matter what your movie looks like. If you have a voice, if you have something interesting to say, um, they will like you and they will program you. So step one, if you are nowhere like I was, is the $3 short film. I recommend making one of these every weekend with your smartest group of friends who want to be filmmakers. They don't have to be film savvy. You want a group of like four or five people, someone who's ideally charismatic to be your lead actor, and then just smart kind of interesting people to help you curate this thing. It should be a one scene, five minutes. Ideally, it's comedic because those program well at film festivals. And uh, (laughs) short films also program well, like short shorts. That's really key. Um, and your first ones are going to suck. Mine did. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you'll make a great one. There's some people that do that. I hate those people. Um, <laughs> and, and, but there'll be like a little nugget when you show your friends. And they'll be like, this is four minutes and 58 seconds of garbage. But that little giggle you guys had right there was interesting. So then you expand on that. And you cut everything else out. You start honing in on it. And somewhere you're going to discover that you have something unique to offer. And it usually lies in those weird conversations you are having with your friends, your loved ones, your siblings between like midnight and three in the morning when everybody's loopy and or drunk or stoned and you are laughing uncontrollably because you share this unique sense of humor about something that one of your friends did or you did. And at the risk of saying you should make a self-indulgent film for your first movie, you should absolutely make a self-indulgent <laughs> film for your first movie because that's your special stuff. That's like your judge. And when you tap into that, you show it to your friends. They'll be honest with you. And you're going to find it might be two weeks later. It might be two months later. It might be two years of doing this that you have something unique to offer. And this is going to be the start of your career. So this whole time, you should be having a really strong day job to take care of yourself. <laughs> um, and you should be saving a little bit of money. You, this is a hard career, so don't 
eat out. Don't buy clothes. Like, save up your money. Because now you're going to have to travel to film festivals, okay? You're going to submit this to every film festival you can. And you're going to go and you're going to start meeting other filmmakers that you like and other actors that you like. And you're going to start building your community. And the programmers there are going to like you. And they're going to wonder, ooh, I want to I program a feature from this kid. That would be great. And the whole time you're going around at this festival, there is a small chance that an agent is going to sign you and say, I love your movie. I want to pitch you to direct a movie. The Cavalry's coming. It's coming. Cavalry's probably not coming. I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> What's probably going to happen is you're going to be writing a script this whole time, a feature script that's based upon the look and the feel of your $5 movie, okay? That can be made for less than $1,000. And this is going to be the next step in your career, okay? The way you're going to do this is... You're going to go into temp work. This is brutal. These next two years are going to suck, okay? <laughs> Ideally, if you are in college and hearing this, don't major in film, minor in film, <laughs> study Spanish or Mandarin, and you can get jobs translating for $25 an hour wherever you want to go. It's the best thing any film student can That's do. That's fantastic. Or if you don't do that, just wait tables. There's a reason why artists wait tables. It's flexible. You can get your shifts covered. You're going to spend <laughs> a year making this movie. You're going to write this script based upon what I call the Available Material School of Filmmaking, which is not, it takes place in a spaceship, because you can't do that on $1,000. But what you can do is take a meeting with everyone who loves you and everyone who wants to support you and say, what do you have that you can lend to me at my disposal to make a film? When Jay and I made the puffy chair, it was very, very clear. We had my apartment in Brooklyn, my wife Katie's apartment in Brooklyn, my street was really quiet, and I knew we could shoot on that. I had a van because I was playing in bands, so I was like, road movie, that's good for a van. Uh, there was a furniture store in Maine that was going out of business, and we had two identical chairs we could get for like $300. So I was like, great, I'll burn one of them. That will be our big stunt in the movie. It'll be awesome. <laughs> and, and we reverse engineered a movie that fit inside of these things so that we knew we wouldn't have to wait to make it. We knew we could make this movie at a cheap price. And you gather up that group of friends you made your shorts with, and you guys are going to go out with a crew of five to eight people. And the way you're going to do this, and please don't print this. This is just for the room. Um, <laughs> you're going to go to some box stores that might rhyme with, like, um, clone repo. And you're going to buy lights and extension cords and all these things. And they have a 30-day return policy where they give all your money back. You're going to shoot your movie within 30 days and everything is going to be free. You're going to go to another store that rhymes with rest, lie, and they have cameras that you can buy with only like a 10% restocking fee. So you're going to buy those cameras and then you're going to return them. Or if you want, you can just shoot them still uncompressed on your iPhone if you like that look. It might make you more unique. Either way, these are the things you're going to do to keep it cheap, okay? And... If you have an agent at this point, they might be saying, don't go do this. I can get you some money to make this. If you allow them to do that, you will end up in development for five years and you will not get your movie made because you're just a short filmmaker with nothing behind you. Go make this movie on your own. The cavalry is not coming. So with this movie you make, there is a chance that the movie's going to go to Sundance and it's going to sell for a million dollars. It might happen. Probably not. <laughs> probably what's going to happen is you made something really interesting that's a little bit flawed because you're a new filmmaker and it's your first feature and that's okay but it's unique and it has a voice and you're still doing temp work and you're running around to every single festival that you develop relationships with through your short film okay they want you back they're excited to program you and this is where the capital of film festival starts to come in you're definitely going to get an agent at this point because you made a feature that works that's good we'll talk about that in a second but there are movie stars at these film festivals. Every film festival has like three to five movie stars at it that come and get the sponsors in to do it, okay? And what you want to do is get your movie in front of these people. And when you have this agent, they're going to say, should I bring you scripts to direct? Should I bring you this? Say, no, 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 no. I want you to do one thing for me. I want you to send my $1,000 movie that's inspired but kind of flawed every single actor in this agency that means something and I want you to set screenings every other week so that I can get actors to fall in love with my work and then build another movie with them and this is going to where you start to climb a lot of these movie stars are going to be like fuck that I don't want to make a movie on an iPhone with this dude he does not know what he's doing <laughs> but one of them within two weeks two months is going to respond 
and he was, let's call him Randy Hercules, okay? Randy Hercules was on like a CBS show that ran for like six years. He's super rich, and he's super <laughs> depressed because he hates his show. And he is dying to do something creative. And you're going to meet with Randy Hercules, and you're going to say, Randy, I saw your show. You're really good in it, but I know you're better than this. And you'll have done your research, and you'll have watched Randy in interviews, and you'll have said, I might be able to use this darkness of Randy to do something interesting. And you say, I'm going to build you a role, Randy. What is the role you absolutely want to play and that no one has offered you? And Randy is going to fall in love with you and follow you to the ends of the earth. So as much as your agent is going to tell you, you've already made your $1,000 movie. It's time to go pitch you for big directing jobs, which you'll never get, by the way. <laughs> you won't want them because all the directing jobs out there that are open are terrible. You are going to do the unthinkable. You're going to make another $1,000 movie, but this one has Randy fucking Hercules in it. And this one is going to be the one that starts to monetize your career. Because even if you make a stinker with Randy Hercules in it, there's no way you're selling this movie for less than $50,000. And all your friends who worked on your cheap movie with you, you're going to give them big points in the movie because you are a communist. You're developing a group of friends, and you're all in this shit together, and you're going to say... All right, because I've been temping my Mandarin mm. or I've been serving um, ceviche, I've saved up some money here. We're going to spend another $1,000 on this movie. But this time when it sells, you, my beloved sound person slash lighting person slash assistant editor, are going to get 10% of the movie because you've been working so hard. And Randy Hercules, you're going to get 20% of the movie. And then you go to Randy and say, you're so rich. Would you just give me those points back and give it to some of the crew? And he'll do it. Because he's in love with you and he's rich and sad. <laughs> and, you get to share all of this. and you make this movie, and it's going to be a little better than your last movie because you learned something from your mistakes. And you dug in on Randy Hercules and you found something great. And this time, rather than be at those B tier festivals, you're probably going to land at a high B or a low A tier festival. You might go to Sundance and sell it for a million dollars. It might happen. Probably not going to happen. It's just the way <laughs> it is. But that's okay. Because now you have a movie that has extreme value on VOD because of Randy Hercules' six years on his CBS show. And this is where I say, God bless VOD. This is a great thing for independent film. Please, please do not reject VOD. Please do not be afraid of it. Please do not be attached to your early movies playing in movie theaters. It's very important that you don't blow all your money promoting in a theater that's going to lose that money and you will have no more money to make movies. It's important that you own this Randy Hercules movie. Someone's going to buy it from you. Let them put it out on VOD and a place like Netflix or HBO and you will probably make anywhere from fifty dollars to $500,000 on this movie by the very presence of Randy Hercules and that the movie yeah. doesn't suck. That's just an empirical value for that movie, okay? And this is great. You got some money. Your friends have some money. You're sharing in things. And more importantly, the industry is starting to take notice of you. You've definitely got your agent beating down your door now saying, okay, remember last time when I said the cavalry was coming? I, I was wrong that time. But this time, the cavalry is really fucking coming. I can take you out and get you directing jobs. I can get you rewrite jobs. You just got to go take a bunch of general meetings. And if you do that, you will take meetings for a year and nothing will happen. And I'm telling you this from experience. It is very hard to turn this down because it's so tempting. But this is where you want to make your move into TV because as the death of the middle class of film has happened, it has been rebirthed in television. The way you used to make really awesome $5 million movies that didn't have movie stars in them and had great, cool, original content, that's happening in cable TV right now. And that's where you want to go. And if you have made a good $1,000 movie with Randy Hercules, you're going to sell a pitch hands down okay and you'll make some money off of that which is really good so you're going to be thinking oh my god this is incredible i'm going to become the next big showrunner i sold this pitch they're excited about it you might get to make that show probably not because <laughs> that's just the way it is um it's probably going to get put into turnaround but you made some money which is good and you learned something and you said hmm they don't want to make this because it costs $2 million an episode for them to make it, and they don't want to risk that much. But using my principles of indie filmmaking, I could probably take Randy Hercules or one of Randy Hercules' friends 
who now likes me because they've seen the movie. <laughs> they want to be like Randy Hercules in a little project. And I could probably make some episodes of a TV show independently and license them back to these companies at like a quarter or a fifth of the price. And I would own everything, and I would almost be like a TV studio. So you're going to take out Randy Hercules and his friend, Dingleberry Jones. And Randy <laughs> and Dingleberry are going to play in a small two-hander that's shot mostly in apartments, just like you did your first micro-budget movie. And you're going to make two episodes and outline the rest. And I guarantee you, you will sell that show to a young and hungry place that wants TV content from a vetted, cool, independent filmmaker like yourself. And now you're going to start to make some actual money. And all your friends around you who have been working for years are going to be like, you're the first one of us to make some money. This is exciting. I have an idea. I want to make my first $1,000 movie with Randy Hercules. And you're going to be like, this is great. I have some money now, and you're going to have the opportunity to do what you didn't get for yourself is to raise some people up and throw $1,000 at them and say, yes. go for it. If you shit the bed, I don't care. It's a write-off. If you win, I want like 15% of your profits, but take 85% of it and share it with your crew because you guys are doing all the work because you're a communist, and this is good. Communism is <laughs> good here, guys. And so now you're like kind of at this like weird crossroads in your life where – you're thinking, okay, made these short films, made these two micro-budget features, one with Randy, got my TV show going, I'm making money, I'm not rich, I'm sustainable, I'm helping my friends, and your agent's going to call you and say, <laughs> I know the first time I called you I said the cavalry was coming, I was wrong, and the second time I said the cavalry was coming, and, it, and I was wrong, but this time the cavalry is fucking beating down your door. <laughs> And she's kind of right because you are of value now and you do have a chance to let the cavalry in. Um, good chance you'll open it up and they aren't there anyway. Another chance you open it up, they come in and you don't want to make a movie with the cavalry because they don't make the kind of movies you like and they're going to try and tell you exactly how to make the movie. And you're going to be at this crossroads. This is like in Oh, the Places You Go when you get to the waiting place, you know, like... People, what, what am I going to do? And you're going to look at your career, and you're going to feel like, I'm a little tired because every single project I have made, I've had to self-generate. And it's getting fucking exhausting. And I kind of want the cavalry to come and just offer me some jobs. And it would be really amazing not to work that hard. Um, and this is the really, really hard truth. And the truth is, still... When you're at this place, when I am at this place I am at, the cavalry is not coming. It sucks. But this is where the good news starts to come in, okay? Because you're going to look back at your career and say, okay, I made critically acclaimed short films and ran around and made some friends at a festival. I made two micro-budget features, one with Randy Hercules. I got a TV show licensed with Randy and Dingleberry. I'm making some money. I'm producing films for my friends. How is it possible that the cavalry is not coming anymore? I've done so much. And the good news of this is who gives a fuck about the cavalry? Because now you are the cavalry. I'm going to Tony Robbins you for a second. You are <laughs> the cavalry. And you do not need them. You have a group of friends who you support and has your support and in the peaks and valleys of our career as they get more successful and you start to burn out and make a shitty movie they will lift you up because you lifted them up and when you're up and they're down you will lift them up and this will equalize you and not only sustain you through your career but sustain you with people you like being around you have a bevy of work behind you and not one of those pieces of art are you embarrassed to show your children later on because you made them exactly the way you wanted to make them. And while they didn't make a ton of money for you, you can look your kids in the eye and say, yeah, I'm proud of this. I made this. And most importantly, you're now in a corner of the sandbox that is completely your own. You have all the skills to make exactly the kind of things you want to make. You have enough money to put them in production in a micro-budget way, admittedly, it's a bit of a limit, um, and no one can stop you from doing exactly what you want to do. 
So this, to me, is only my experience, but I, I wanted to share this with you because I, I feel that if you can accept that the cavalry won't come and just make yourself into the cavalry, it has your best chance of maintaining success. But more importantly, which we don't talk a lot about in this industry, it gives you a chance to be happy. That's all I have to say. Oh, yeah, so, that was a lot faster than the full hour. That being said, I know I made a lot of grandiose statements, mm. and I know there's some specifics left out. I would also love to be challenged on any of these ideas. If some of you were like, oh, that's bullshit. doesn't play that way for me because I'm still trying to dial this model in myself. Um, so I would like to open this up to questions or, if you're interested, just like really awesome compliments. Those are cool, too. <laughs> um, and uh, I will open the floor to you guys. I can't see very well back there, so I'm going to... Someone. Before the questions and answers, I got to say, this really resonated me, with me. First, I got to look up. I wonder if by Randy Hercules he means uh, Jason Siegel in that movie with Jeff. I think he worked on that. If not, I'm cutting this out. Um, but also, like that's kind of my vision of becoming the cavalry. And as he says, being like a copyist. I literally was talking about this with Richard, uh, who's not on this podcast yet, but he's my roommate and he will be. And I want to build it up to a point where the company could just write a friend a $30,000 check, say make a movie, and as long as they finish it, there can be another $30,000 check for another movie or another project. And if those start making like profits, actual profits, then their budgets can go up. But really the ultimate plan, which now I'm, I'm just thinking of $3 movies, uh, short films to be doing now, uh, is this podcast, be able to talk about movies, uh, make video essays for YouTube, not so much reviews, a little bit of reviews on the Instagram page and Facebook, but making those, building those up now doing some short films, uh, putting those out just on YouTube and Amazon prime because, those are good revenue streams and then making a film that can go on Amazon prime and probably also YouTube, uh, just to make, build a community and, and on VOD, uh, build a community and just grow that to a level that might be like a Kevin Smith type thing, probably less because we don't have millions of dollars in budget, but just a small community make it so that we can have events, maybe a little space like Kevin Smith's, uh, his comic book shop, something like that, where podcasts can be held. There can be live shows of that live viewing or viewings of movies there, uh, place for merch and stuff like that to build it up even more. And then eventually get it to a point where it could road show like Kevin Smith has been doing with his, with his last few films, like Jane Silent Bob reboot right now. And how he did with Jane Silent Bob's super groovy cartoon movie and a few of, you know, the other films, like I said, and then get it to a point where we can make projects together. And I never really thought of it having a Randy Hercules or something like that, but really making it our us being the cavalry and putting these movies on prime and vod and road shows and a private like actual physical location for anyone who wants and then eventually it would be really cool to have our own streaming service though that might be too much um but man that resonated with me so much just his path and his message and his independence especially in this day and age, he did it before we had so many uh, paths and capabilities. Um, but man, that just got me really, really excited. Oh, and now I want to make a, a funny little short film at our apartment 
uh, with my daughter called Parenting, and literally the whole script would be, hey, can you clean up your toys? And then it just turns into, like, the craziest, most excessive, most Kingsman or, uh, you know, grindhouse-type fistfight between me and my eight-year-old daughter. Um, just really funny because I also have a feature length idea of a movie called Daddy which is about a guy who is has his home raided by a villain named Jack uh, uh, Wax Jack Wax uh, as a clear parody of John Wick and it is a horrible movie and in this movie uh it would be me, and my daughter would be the dog that gets killed, and I'd go on revenge. But ex- instead of being this like badass uh, assassin, I'm literally just a guy with a keg, uh, a beer gut, and who drinks beer and just is really unhealthy. And like the action scenes are really slow. Like if there's five people down a hallway, it's like going towards them, just really wildly going. But knocking everyone out with one punch. Um, Just really, really ridiculous and right up my alley and just stupid. (laughs) But uh, this this just resonated with me so much. Back to the back to the video. Now to the Q&A. Has when you just like shout it. And that oh, plane can are. change. Okay, good. But There's a mic, and you just walk up to the mic. That's what happens. I morph as the opportunities I'm Melody Brooke, and come I'm in the filmmaker. next levels. But... Hi, Melanie. <clears throat> Hi. And our first feature film is in post-production right now. Congratulations. TV shows. A couple of uh, minor Comedic soap opera called Wait For It and, um, on YouTube. And looking to try to figure out how to do the distribution side. Yeah. So any advice or direction that you can give around that would be great. Yeah, I mean, you want to head for the A-list festivals first, and you want to really, like, Sundance, South by Southwest, Tribeca, LAFF, AFI, Cannes, Toronto, Venice, these places that might be able to, you know, sell your movie. And I know I'm talking a lot about business here, but it's very important that you understand business to serve your creative. It's just a part of the game. Um, So go for those. Um, If you get in there, fucking A, you're good to go. If not, start looking at more of those second-tier festivals that aren't necessarily sales markets, but are going to be building tools and sometimes you can win awards at those festivals which will bring more attention to it most importantly go to those festivals and meet the other actors and the other filmmakers that you want to work with um, and start thinking towards your next movie always start thinking towards that we've already started writing it great good for you have that at the festival so that when people see your movie and say "Ah, I don't want to buy this one what's next that's great Um, and then I would say most importantly try to get yourself to a VOD service um, even some places like Vimeo that are like trying to brand themselves and might push you a little bit, Film Buff, even iTunes themselves. You know, um, our great friend Matt Dentler supports young movies, and he'll help place you on the front page a little bit. And don't be afraid to self-distribute that movie. Um, and this is just a small logistical detail. If you have a company that's offering you no money and you don't like the guy um, who's running it, I actually would recommend self-distributing instead of selling it to them because... This movie, which is not valuable now, in nine years, when you are really successful, if you own that whole thing and you haven't sold it, that's going to be your blood simple of Coen Brothers, and you're going to be able to sell that for a lot of money. And <laughs> like, oh, look what Melanie made back here, and you know Sundance Channel will want to buy it or somebody. So um, hang on to it unless you find a good one. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. It's Promises Movie on Twitter and Facebook. Just so you Did you just fucking promote up in here? <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, kid. <laughs> yes. uh, hey, how you doing? Uh, I'm Ross. Hey, Ross. I have a question for you. Yeah. On the dynamic of, you know, we're in this age of we all do it all kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so you're an actor, you're a director, we, and I think that, that dynamic... Um, I just want to know how you deal with the dynamic of when you say I'm an actor or, you, or you're in your own films. How do you uh, deal with kind of the egotistic nature of saying like, oh, I, you know, I directed, well, I also acted in it, but the reality is, is that I wrote it because I'm perfect for this. Like, how do yeah. you deal with the gross nature of creating roles for yourself and how to not be ashamed of yourself as you maneuver through the world? <laughs> uh, no easy answer for that. Therapy, really good for that. Um, but I would say, you know, to my earlier point, um, 
there's a way to address that in my mind that is like, look, there's a lot of great literature that says no one under the age of 30 makes a good piece of art that is not autobiographical. I have zero access to other actors. What I do have is access to myself who understands the material. So while I might not be the greatest actor in the world, it's nice having a filmmaker inside of the scene because if I feel it's not working, I can improvise around it and maneuver it. So until I find a better actor who's willing to work with me, I will do. And I think that that will hopefully make them respect you uh, 20% more. Sweet. Thank you. Yeah. Probably not, though, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Mark. Hi. Um, after talking a little bit about indie filmmakers going into TV, I was wondering how you're feeling about the web series world. Um, I have a little experience in the web series world. Um, I made a series called Wedlock Independently, mm-hmm. and we took that out and, and, and sold it. And um, between you and me, it was definitely like... We made our money and back and like a little bit more, but it wasn't like a windfall financially. Um, but it was good because I think Vimeo honestly is a really good place uh, to to get that stuff out there. Their revenue shares are ninety percent to the artist and ten percent to Vimeo, and they don't promote a lot. But you can kind of uh, it, it's worth what you get out of them. So I really, really recommend making them independently um, and taking them out. You can make a web series if you design it cheaply. Again, according to the models I talked about, that's sort of available school, uh, available material school. Um, so my, my advice would be, like, try to make it for ten grand uh, or less. Um, you can probably feel comfortable to credit card that because any decent web series that's, like, funny, if you drive your ass off with all your social media and stuff, will make that back, and, you, and you'll be okay to make another one. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, man. Hey, man. Um, so <laughs> Cam, Thank and, you. Um, sometimes I feel like Alex from your togetherness. In which way? In, in, the, like, in the balding way? In, <laughs> yes. And in the <laughs> in L.A. And what if one day I'm going to end up like him? And the other yeah. part of me is like shows like yours give me hope as an actor mm-hmm. because I, I want to be part of projects like that. And in, in, in terms of... What is your um, advice for struggling actors in L.A.? And, and yes, I know I, I make more material and all that. Yeah. Really getting in, like, my first TV credit seems like this inbred game that I just can't get into. So yeah, I mean, there's no short answer for that. Uh, you know, everything I talked about in the last half hour applies to you as well as an actor because, you know, I think that the actor-producer and the actor-writer role are the best ways to get yourself moving forward. There's a little bit of a thing, and I'm just speaking super candidly, a lot of filmmakers, when an actor approaches them, they feel like they take a step back because they're worried they want something from them. And they're worried that that friendship is tainted with this desire to just be in their movies. But if you have acted in a movie that you wrote and produced, a five-minute short, and you're at the film festival circuit, then you are one with the filmmakers, and you are not coming to them for a job. And you guys will be buddies together, and you'll go to that free party with a beer, and you'll stay up late, and you'll tell this really funny story about the time you got in the car accident and accidentally ran off and got arrested for a hit and run. And that filmmaker (laughs) will hear it. She's so dynamic and so interesting. I want to work with her. And that's how this shit happens. I mean, you need to make yourself a member of this community as opposed to trying to burrow your way into the community because that's really, in my experience... I cast and call from my group of friends um, and and the way into that and the way that that community is created is mostly through traveling to film festivals with a with a decent piece of art. So think about what you're really, really good at doing. Like, you know, you know what you kill at, right? Okay, well, you got to figure that out. Yeah, <laughs> got to figure that out. You're probably being close <laughs> to like, you got to figure that out. Like, I'm so good at doing this kind of thing and write a five-minute piece for that produce it which really only means just like finding a friend with a camera who kind of knows how to shoot um and start making shorts like that you know and get that into a festival and then it will start to grow from there thanks dude yeah hi hi mark my name's elisa hi elisa i'm a fellow utrtf alum 
Um, I really enjoyed Togetherness. Thank you. And the party episode, my friend and I watched that and also enjoyed some similar tea. Good. And it was a wonderful episode. Are you drinking that right now? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just really nervous and excited to talk to you. Because there's a little something in your speech. I'm going to be honest there? with you. It's a little. Not, not tea. Not okay. Tea. <laughs> just checking. Um, so I was wondering <laughs> if there was. It's not even noon, by the way. Just so you know. <laughs> If there's a specific personal experience that inspired that episode, and also is Linda going to be coming back for season two? Mm, good question. Um, I can't talk about the season two stuff yet. We're right in the middle of writing it. Um, but as to the personal experiences for uh, one of our protagonists drinking hallucinogenic beverages, um, I haven't had an experience like that necessarily before, um, but... You know, Jay and I are really, really close. Um, and I remember when, God, I think we grew up in New Orleans, so take this with a grain of salt. We grew up pretty fast. Um, I got a hold of some mushrooms in high school, and Jay came back from college, and I was like, <laughs> we're going to do these together. And because we spend so much time apart, I want to, like, I want to, like, expand together and, like, get, you know, like, be, be like we were as brothers. Um, and so we took mushrooms and walked around the streets of New Orleans together for, I don't know, maybe like five or six hours. And I do remember <laughs> something in that. We didn't have any great crazy experiences or hyperbolic ones like happened in the episode. Um, but I do remember feeling like we were pretty like wound up kids who were nervous about like, are we going to be able to have careers? Like we were thinking about this stuff in high school already. And I remember it kind of like opening us a little bit and I was like oh that would be really great for tightwad Brett to uh to let the tea let him loose awesome thank you yeah uh hey Mark my name's Calvin Herbst I'm 17 I'm a filmmaker from Dallas Texas um I can definitely right away I know you're going to be successful uh, the whole the whole professional delivery that you're 17 and you call yourself a filmmaker you are you you you're, you're good dude you don't need me Sit down, dude. I'm serious. Sit down. (laughs) Give somebody else a fucking chance, man. (laughs) Uh, So definitely in that same boat and not having a lot of budget. Like, yeah, your number was like a thousand dollars. So, and I'm blessed to come from a school where I have cameras and like lights that I can check out. So, um, what, what do you spend that money on? Because I have like that's like my worst budgeting. Like, I go out and I budget for a movie. And I spent all my money on Waterburger, and we're like, shit, we're out of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. What do it's you, <laughs> you actually took that money on and you spent it on? Yeah, I mean, when I, when I quote the $1,000 movie, it's, it's, it's certainly uh, not an empirical number. It, it changes on the city you're in. It changes, you know, depending on the scope of your movie, you know. But when I think about that movie, it's, it's doing a couple of things. It's, it's, you know, borrowing recycled hard drives from people so you're not buying those things. You know, it's getting the uncompressed uh, app on your iPhone, which you have your equipment already. Most of it is food, um, and you really want someone who can cook. I recommend having your, um, your editor um, be the dit person who takes the media in, cause, and they have a lot of downtime, so you have them help you light, and you have them cook. And if, if they cook, and you, you, know, you should be having a crew that's really, really small, and you should have designed an aesthetic of the movie that can be rough-hewn, so it doesn't feel less than a $200,000 movie. It feels squarely a $1,000 movie, what, what that is, i.e. handheld, i.e. You know, um, rough lighting for a reason. You know? um, so, yeah, that, that money should be mostly spent on food, and then you're going to spend a little bit of that on film festival applications. All right, thank you. Yeah. Hey, Mark. Um, my name is Calvin, too. Um, I'm an editor. Okay. Um, and I cook, but never yeah, yeah. cook on set. All right. <laughs> I like um, it. I'm an editor, and <laughs> I'm a film editor by day, filmmaker anytime in between. Yeah, um, I did that for a long time. I know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's also a great way to make money, just to be clear. If you are is. a filmmaker who knows how to edit, getting in, editing, like, infomercials and things like that. I edited at a church in Austin, a church television show, for $20 <laughs> an hour at night. That was great for me. So it's a, it's a nice source. No, I totally agree. Um, in the episode of Togetherness, when you really find the coyote noise, mm-hmm. you put the coyote noise in. I've had that experience plenty of times. I'm so sorry. No, I just, yeah. just want to tell you, I've, I've been there, man. Yeah. Um, 
uh, I'm a big fan of the puffy chair. I'm kind of going through some of that stuff right now, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and I've noticed that Red Envelope um, Productions, you know, was one of was one of the production companies, you know, that helped start that brand. And I want to congratulate you on your deal with Netflix. Thank That's you. That's really cool. And I was just wondering if there was any correlation between that. Yeah, we developed a relationship with Netflix in 2005 when we sold them the puffy chair. Their originals department was called Red Envelope at the time. That, that's just been folded into the Netflix brand since. Um, and Ted Sarandos, who runs that company um, and is now like a multi-gazillionaire, massive media mogul, is one of us. He's a guy who came from independent film, and he feels like us, and he still takes my phone calls, and we text each other and talk about movies. And um, that brings to a good point of, like, we're now in this fortunate position where we're seeing the advent of venture capitalist conglomerations <laughs> showing up into independent film. Yeah. Amazon, Netflix, to a certain degree, HBO. And I, that's why I brought up that idea in my uh, tirade earlier about sort of making independent television and licensing it to, to, to TV because there is Netflix, Amazon, they're minting money right now. Um, and then there's you and all of us who are kind of like not making a lot of money. And so there's this wonderful marriage to be had where you make the movie for this, or they, they buy the movie for, for half of what they normally buy it for. You've made it for a tenth of what they normally buy for. And then everybody is winning. You're profiting. They're profiting. You know, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you. The budgets that I am making my Netflix movies for, all four of those movies equal to basically one fart bubble for Netflix and their grand <laughs> scheme of money. So, but for me, it's a ton. So that's a good thing. Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yes. Hey, what's, what's going on, Mark? Um, you know, just doing a keynote and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I get some coffee after this. What you up to? Uh, not, not a whole lot. Yeah. Um, a quick question, man. Cool. Um, okay, so big fan of the show, by the way. <laughs> did um, you write these down? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I really like did this. Uh, from a film. How many parts? <laughs> <laughs> it's three acts. Okay, good. Right. Um, no, from a fi- filmmaker <laughs> standpoint, how do you feel about location and and the need to be in in, in L.A.? Yeah. Um, Really strong opinions about that. Um, There is a moment when it is helpful to be in L.A. It is so much better for you to keep making your stuff in a small town while you're finding out who you are because your rent's going to be $265 a month. You're going to get support from the pharmacist when you want to shoot in the pharmacy because your dad knows him. You know, When we shot The Puffy Chair, we shot it mostly in my wife's hometown she grew up in where her dad was a doctor and so we could shoot in the motel for free we could shoot in the doctor's office for free i really think it's very very tough to make independent films in la unless you kind of have a name or something to offer them they will just be like get out of my face basically so uh to use my speech up until the point in which you have made your thousand dollar movie with randy hercules that is the moment when you could consider moving to L.A. to get jobs. But Zellner Brothers, still living in Austin, making their movies, doing their thing. It's a great way to do it. Thank you. Yeah. I would, I would only add it's important if you're an actor. If, you're like, if you want to get that portion of your career going, it's, that's important to be in L.A. for. Yeah. Yes, sir. Hey, Mark. I'm Jeremy Burgess. I'm a writer-producer out of Birmingham, Alabama. I've been doing shorts for a few years, Great. and it's been going okay. I've also been working on my first and only feature-length script. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's brilliant, but it's it's going to be that. I already I knew it's going to be expensive, and yeah. uh, and that's always been in, in the back of my mind yeah. the whole time I've been writing it. Should I throw that in a closet and let the brilliance burn into my soul, or should I keep working at that? Instead of shorts, how do you how do you that? do with um, multitasking? Fairly fairly okay. I have okay, like four jobs. Yeah, I mean, and and have your short films been going around to festivals and like doing We're okay? Wrapping one up in about a week, and uh-huh. so I'll I'll tell you next year. Okay, got it. Yeah, so I would I would stay on the shorts train, making shorts until you get those shorts into the festivals and and really where you're at. I would finish that super passion project of yours that's brilliant and expensive and have that and have that ready to go because again there is that chance that if you make this short 
and Janet falls in love with it, and she premieres it at South by Southwest. And it's also in the same shorts program as Randy Hercules' friend who made it. Randy might f see your movie, uh, your short, and say, I want to make it, and then you can get your big movie made. Don't wait on that. Do not count on that. The chances are very slim. So I would highly recommend whatever that first short is that you make that lands at a festival and you really see people connecting to it, try to make that micro-budget feature that mimics that, and that will be a great gateway to get your more expensive movie made. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, Mark. Uh, my name is Marshall. I'm finishing up uh, UT RTF studies uh, this semester. And uh, every contact I've made in the industry has said, try to find a writing partner, try to find a producing partner. How has Jay um, helped your process out emotionally and like in the business? Aspect? It's huge. I mean, it is really, really huge. And I, I do agree with that advice. Um, and I would take it further that not just a partner, but a true community. You know, I showed up at South by Southwest in 2003 for the first time and started meeting guys like Joe Swanberg and Andrew Bajalski and Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden. And we are all friends to this day. And we call each other through the years and say, can I borrow a camera? And we mail each other cameras and we mail each other cards. And can I use your old drives from this movie? I mean, that that community element is almost as important as that direct partner. Very hard to find that direct partner, you know? I mean, it's like being in a band where you have to suck up all the conflict that happens with it for the greater good of the music that you're making together. It doesn't work for everybody. Um, just talking to you right now, like, seem like a pretty gentle, sweet person. The fact that you're aware that it could be helpful means you're probably going to be emotionally evolved enough to handle that kind of situation. I'm which an is, only child. So you're, you're, oh, never mind. You're done. Uh, you, no, no, no. <laughs> never mind. You're, you need a whole new career. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, really, really hard to find. scope it out. You know, I will say that I'm in, I'm in two positions. I have my main partner with Jay. But Jay and I also have affairs on each other where, like, he goes off and makes <laughs> transparent and he uh, – you know, went and, and acted in this movie, The Manson Family Vacation, that's premiering here tomorrow. And, and I kind of shepherd a little bit and guide, but, like, I stay away because he needs to have those other partners. And I do that with, like, Lynn Shelton and, and Colin Trevorrow and these other people. And, and so you can also have one-off creative relationships that work really well, too. Just good sex, basically, is what that is. As opposed Thanks, to, Mark. You're the yeah. man. <laughs> Hey, um, Mark. I'm Eric Pachicano, and uh, I'm a uh, producer, filmmaker. Okay. You know, producer, writer, actor, actually. Okay. Um, and I just wanted to thank you personally um, because I, I honestly didn't know who you were before I walked in here. Um, get, get out. I, get out. <laughs> um, but I did. I did. Get out. You're on my list of things to watch. Okay. Good. Is, is on my list, and Excellent. it has been Excellent. for a while. So I would have known. In the future, yeah, and um, so that's exciting. It's an incredible statement, by the way. <laughs> so I would have known in the future. Yeah, it's definitely true. Somebody's gonna watch it. <laughs> oh, yes, they will. Yeah, and um, I just wanted to thank you personally because you uh, have just confirmed everything that I personally have kind of set as far as my career and what I'm going to be doing in the next, uh, you know few years lots of years but um and i wanted to kind of on this level say thank you and say remember me i'm eric with an a and one day we'll be on that level together and i'll talk with you shake your hand and say i appreciate everything and i'm here because of you so thanks a lot you're gonna raise it. me up you're gonna hook me up yeah one day we'll, we'll hook each that. other up i'm promise. feeling that i like so, uh, the confidence All yeah right. it's eric with an a i will remember. be i let me be clear i will be totally burned out and worthless in 10 years so i'm gonna need that well i'm here, I'm here <laughs> in austin and, okay and good. So <laughs> good at some point All have right. a great day excellent thank you yes sir uh, hey mark uh i'm puma tonapon i'm also a filmmaker in high school um I, next year i'm gonna be a senior and i'm kind of moving forward into this next level education. yeah College-wise, tricky call. And I also don't want to dig my mom into a hole. That's great. Go to somewhere super expensive. Great thinking. So I was wondering if you had any suggestions on how I should move forward into going yeah. to college. Basically, it, it, this is—I don't want to be irresponsible here because this is like a four-hour conversation. But I will throw out a couple of questions for you to think about. Um, do you believe that you thrive better in a structured educational environment, or do you function better as a renegade in your basement with your three buddies? What makes you more excited and inspired? Both. 
both. Okay, I good. On the, on the inside, I have this sneaking suspicion that I'm irresponsible. Yeah. Uh, and I can't handle responsibility. Okay. But at the same yeah. time, I feel like having that <laughs> lack of responsibility yeah. allows me to be. So there's a there's a combination here. There are these um, there are these uh, trade schools uh, like New York Film Academy. Um, they're not the greatest things in the world, to be honest with you. But they're like nine months, and what they do is they teach you the the empirical tools of filmmaking. Okay. So you and your mom won't go broke. You won't waste four <laughs> years. And you'll be, which is good, you'll be like 19 when you get out. Um, and you'll know everything you need to know about making movies. So even if you run for two years trying to make movies and you decide, you know what, this isn't for me. I'm not sure on this, as you mentioned. You're still only going to be 21 and you got plenty of time to get all that up. So I, for college, I generally recommend go in and get just the necessary things that you absolutely need to make the movie. Granted, if you came to me and said, dude, I've already read all the textbooks, I know what the um, 180 degree axis is of shooting, yeah. I know how to shoot on the press on an iPhone, I would be like, 100% do not go to film school. You are ready for this. Okay. Go out and do it. So you're saying if I already have that experience, which I, I think I kind of do, yeah. just do something I would else. skip it. I would, yeah. I would save the money and skip it. And think about the money that would have been that and say, Mom, give me a tenth of that so I can go make my movie, one movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. All righty. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Hi, Mark. I'm Stacy. Hi, Stacy. I took a BuzzFeed quiz on which league character are you. And I did not get your character, Pete, but I got Kevin, so I think that we're Absolutely. Um, the other day I saw, I'm not outside to stop mowing because I'm recording and starting your career much earlier than you were able to do right what do you think about maybe the downside of that is what you're talking about yeah I mean I, I'm a big fan of the cheap technology and the tools and I would never uh, wish that they were not here I do agree there are some downsides um, one is that we're creating a glut of material in the marketplace so it's much harder to sift through things and also that you know in 1995, if you put out an independent film that was decent, you were only one of seven independent films, so everybody would come see it. Now there are thousands, so it makes you less, quote-unquote, special in that way. But the major upside of it, which I will trump to the day I die, is that because this stuff is so cheap now, um, in 1995, uh, a kid from Ohio in the suburbs who was 14 years old couldn't turn a camera on himself and make one of the more explosive movies that we've seen come out of Sundance and that could happen now with the technology and so I'm willing to take all the bad stuff for that sort of like juggernaut potential. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Hi. Hi, Mark. F.A. Greenheart. I am a freelance DP mm-hmm. and I'm uh, you know, transitioning into moving more in the direction of taking filmmaking seriously. Yeah. Uh, doing writing and directing and I feel like I can learn a lot from being on set with an established director and, and learning approach and process. Um, what's the best way to uh, approach somebody you really respect, you lo- love their style, and you want to learn something from them uh, by working behind the scenes on set mm-hmm. and kind of break into the sort of like insulated bubble yeah. maybe around them? I mean, I'm going to give you a pretty specific piece of advice. You don't necessarily have to follow it. I would erase that from your memory um, because you will maybe learn some things, but it will probably uh, be really hard to get to that point if you don't have connections and you spend a lot of time and energy trying to find a connection to a filmmaker that is good enough that you want to emulate. And it might not even be healthy for you to learn and emulate from them. And I would take all those cumulative hours and I would gather up three or four of your friends and start making movies. And then what's going to happen is you're going to start making movies that are like you and that are totally unique. And honestly, if you start emulating things, it might beat something original out of you that you never could have known. For instance, if you don't know what the 180-degree axis is right now and how to shoot films, you might shoot it in this ignorant way that's totally original and interesting. 
and that's kind of cool too that happened to me a little bit earlier so um you know at the risk of uh sounding a little cavalier about it I would really spend more of your time finding out who you are as opposed to shadowing someone else thanks Mark yeah hi my name is Stephanie I hi Stephanie I love all your stuff thank so you I just wanted to tell you that first of all um, I'm not a filmmaker um, just kind of a creative person I write a food blog and um, I don't know today there's so many people out there that want to do something creative and yeah. so many different markets. And I was just kind of wondering, like, is there enough room? Like, how do you make yourself stand yeah. out? Yeah. I mean, it's a really tough question. There's a glut, you know, like there's tons and tons of stuff to look at and it's much harder to make room. And it can be certainly um, a bummer sometimes when you just feel like I'm just putting the stuff out there and nobody cares, you know. I truly believe at the end of the day, like everybody's unique. And if you dig in hard enough about that special stuff about you, again, those conversations you're having with your friends, those very specific things that make you, you, um, that's going to be inherently fascinating, at least to me, you know, if I got a chance to like see and feel what it's like, uh, in your life in that, in those moments. And if you can find a way to put that in your stuff, I, I believe it can break through, you know, but it's definitely harder now with the glut. Easier to make, harder to get people to watch it. Thanks. I think we got it. We're running out of time, but I think we can do one more. And I think it's you. Hey. Oh, wait, shit. There's a guy in a green over there. Okay, we're going to do two more real quick. Okay. We're going to go in fast. Hi, Mark. I'm Gail Bean. Hi. I, okay, it'll be quick, but I have a couple of questions. Oh, shit. No, it'll be real quick. All right, here we go. Okay, so I'm an actress, writer, and producer. I was just in um, Chris Wamberg's Unexpected. Wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I have a quick question. How is it because you do multiple things when you come off Coming off of unexpected, people automatically see actress, mm -hmm. and I don't really. I mean, I don't really know about how saying I'm an actress, writer, and producer, mm -hmm. how they like tone it down. Yeah. What is your advice? I mean, you just have to actively combat that, and you just say like, uh, yeah. I mean, I was in the movie because I'm a friend of Chris's, but really, I'm a filmmaker first, you know. And that's that, that standard response. You keep doing that over six months. That's that's what's going to happen. That being said, it's not bad that people. Uh, are looking at you to be an actress, um, and if they like you in it, that's good, you know, and you should say, great, interesting, I'm not just an actress, I am an actress and a writer and producer, and I have this script that I have written for myself, and it can be made cheaply, and you want to get involved, you know, I mean, you, you just got to take control of that conversation. Okay, and then my second question would be, so coming off of that, when you are approached about other projects mm -hmm. that, um, like how you said, the cavalry's not coming, and then when it does come, it could be like a bunch of crap that you may not want to do. Yes, most of the time it is. Well, uh, a lot of times it's easy because it's not an offer to you. It's an offer to fight for it. That's the key. It sounds like they'll take you in for a meeting and say, we want you to direct this movie. But what they don't tell you is that they're talking to 25 other people, and you're going to have to go pitch to them and spend a month getting your boards ready and getting your story pitched together, and you're not going to get it. And you will do that over and over again. And I can't tell you how many friends I have who've done that for three years straight because the temptation of getting that million-dollar gig is there, and they end up doing absolutely nothing. And that's really the, the bummer of the cavalry is coming. Is It sounds like it is, but it really isn't. Okay. Cool. That's it. See? Okay. That was, well, that was a little long. We were pretty good. All right, green guy. Hey, uh, so I'm an actor, writer, and I work for this startup, too. And uh, I, I guess... The question is, how do you or can you ever get rid of, like, the this is no good voice yeah. that is in your head? Because I have a million ideas. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the this is no good voice is great, and it's one of your great assets because it's oh. going to help you from making something bad, you know? If you have the bliss gene and you're like, this is awesome, you're never going to know that it sucks. So um, that's a good thing. Okay. Accept it, honor it, go to some therapy, you'll work through that. All right. I'm still doing that. <laughs> um, a couple of uh, tricks uh, when you're writing. Um, I find it's very bad to write in final draft or in a document because you can see what you're writing and you're thinking to yourself, oh, God, it's garbage, it's garbage, and you lose all your confidence. So try this trick where you take a little dictaphone or a handheld recorder and you speak out your scripts into it. You can't see the words. Also, you can't turn back. It's linear. And so what you actually have to do is it forces you to just get a vomit draft out. And you accept. Because this is a vomit draft, it's going to be stinky. That's fine. No big deal. 
So your dialogue will all sound the same because you're talking that way. And your scene descriptions will not be eloquent because you talked them out. But you're going to get impeccable pacing because your body knows how to pace a movie because you've sat in front of so many movies. And so then you can click into that other side of your brain, the this is no good brain, and start empirically editing that thing. Um, and that's a nice little trick for me. Also, involving your friends and your peers in every way, shape, and form in the process to take the voice off of you for this is no good and put it onto them and let them help you, you'll stop beating yourself up as much if everyone else is voicing and helping you guide this thing. People don't do that enough. I find a lot of people that get caught up in this auteur bullshit of like, this is my vision and I'm making it my way. And it's just like, no, making a movie is impossible. You need help. You need people who you know and love and trust to help you guide this stuff. So um, a community will really help you with that. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Mm. I'll stop talking now. Uh, that last question and we're sourcing the was the that most will come to valuable our one that I saw the whole time. That was good. It was good to sit through that, especially for that last question. What a... Mm. I don't have much more to add. Uh, you know, my game plan, the flexible game plan that I'm excited to continue. Um... Oh, I love stuff like this from people like Robert Rodriguez and Kevin Smith. Uh, Kevin Smith is a little more insular because he hit it big. He doesn't have as many struggles, um, you know, uh, clawing his way to the top and bit by bit. And Robert Rodriguez is kind of like that, but he, you know, definitely did the that kind of thing. Um, well, they both did. But I like that Mark Duplass's... Uh, you know, struggle was more real, uh, longer term, just so that so many more people could get that vision because it is much more that, uh, you know, from everything that I've heard, or it's inspiring to know that there's a, there's a path like that where there's not a lottery ticket where you don't get, uh, you know, fantasy in your eyes. Um, Ah, that was good. That was good. I don't know that I'm going to be doing a lot of reactions like this, uh, but if there are videos that are valuable like that, uh, shoot them my way. Linktree, linktr.ee forward slash movies are dope. Hit me up on your favorite uh, social network or leave me a voice message for the podcast at anchor.fm forward slash movies are dope. Also, we're going to be saving up so that opening day, September 17, 2020, at this point, if it doesn't get pushed back again, also my birthday, we're going to buy out a whole movie theater for the King's Man and collect people to come and have that. Uh, and then we're going to go and get uh, that lawnmower outside and destroy it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, movie dopers. See you in the next one. Oh, and uh, hit a like or leave a review to help that algorithm. Whoops. <laughs>